seeing all of your faces. I want to welcome the streamers, the viewers online. Uh, if we could uh, go to the key of G, uh, play uh, I Stand in All of You. I stand, I stand in all of you.
like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Like a poor wretched beggar that's found fortune and fame. And I'm so glad that I found out he could bring me out through his holy Verse 2 again. Like a bird out of prison that's taken its flight. Like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Like a poor wretched beggar that's found fortune I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out through His holy name This time, uh, I'd like to change the order of the service. We're going to go to the uh, go to the needs. Uh, if you could play something softly, um, we just want to remember uh, Brother Keith. 
he's uh, traveling. He's at work. So, and uh, Brother Troy Hughes, he's going through kidney stones. So we certainly want to remember him. And then uh, we just want to remember Brother Tom Ward. He has uh, shingles as well as a sinus infection. So if we could just remember them. Um, if Brother uh, Sam Britton, you would uh, pray over these needs. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're such a, a blessed people, Lord. Lord, just to have this, this building, Lord, just to come and worship you. Lord, just to come, maybe to sit down, Father, and leave all the cares of the world outside, Father, and Lord, just to hear from you. Lord, now, Lord, Lord, I speak the name of Jesus, Lord, over all these requests, Father, the ones that are traveling, or the Keith, Lord, I ask you, Lord, that wherever he may be, Lord, you just keep him safe on the road. Lord, Brother Tom, Lord, just touch his body, Lord. Lord, we're such a needy people, Lord. Lord, everything we do, Lord, we have to have your help, Lord. And Lord, I ask you now, Lord, for the service, Lord, that you would just anoint our ears, Lord, Lord, just to hear the word, Lord, as it comes forth. Father, Lord, just thank you for everything you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as you guys are seated, let's uh, let's sing uh, "Because He Lives." Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I.
We go to the key of C and sing uh, Change My Heart, Oh God, as uh, we invite uh, Brother Barry to preach the word. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Is this your prayer tonight? Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you, change my heart, oh God, make it ever
just for a moment. Brother Aaron Nangamaza and his family are not here tonight. Brother Aaron's on a job and uh, was unable to be here tonight. Brother Mike Pritchard is also on a job not being able to, hear, not able to be here tonight. We want to remember the drums. We want to remember uh, Peter's family, not well tonight. We want to remember... Um, Erica Reagan, and uh, she's really been going through it, and uh, if you don't mind just holding her up in prayer, that's uh, certainly a special need among us. Um, Isaac Clavel didn't have his tonsillectomy on Monday, and is going to a pediatrician tomorrow, and uh, had a little complication there, and they're going to check him out tomorrow in the uh, doctor's pediatrician's office, so we'll... Isaac will be remembering you in prayer uh, tomorrow. Also as well, uh, today I got a call. I was coming down the road from Sister Connie and Brother Troy Hughes had a uh, gallstone. And um, he had a kidney stone, I'm sorry. And uh, Brother Troy has had those before. The largest stone that he ever had was a seven, seven millimeters. This stone is 13 and uh, caused him immense pain. Uh, he was in the hospital. They gave him, uh, he said he never, ever takes painkillers, but he welcomed them today. And uh, they kept him, admitted him, and they're probably going to do a procedure tomorrow where they laser, uh, laser those stones to shatter him. And uh, we want to remember him in prayer. And I told him, I said we would take that before the Lord tonight. So let's join our hearts together in prayer. We have a lot to pray about, a lot of uh, things that are happening, not only here but in the world. And uh, we also have a special unspoken request here tonight 
so if you don't mind uh, just holding all of these needs together. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, Lord, we have a little list. Seems to us like there's perhaps a lot on that list, but in reality, compared to all of the needs, Lord, represented among your bride, it's just a little list. But Lord, you told us to come and cast all of our cares, little or big, before you because you care for us. And so we bring these needs before you tonight, trusting in the name of Jesus Christ that you will minister, Lord, to each one. We think, Lord, of the elderly among us and, Lord, folks that are just not able to be in church tonight. We place them all, we lift them all before you tonight. And we think, Lord, of all of these names that have been listed tonight and spoken about. And now, Lord Jesus, we just humbly come into your presence and ask that you'd forgive us of anything, Lord, that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, I pray, and breathe life into our prayers. And, Father, may our faith just rise tonight so that we can, we can just look into your word, Lord, with understanding, and we can sense your presence among us. Father, we pray that you'd bring healing to those who need it, especially tonight. Strength and rest and peace to those, Lord, who are troubled. And Father, we think of the turmoil that's going on in the world. And we look to you, Lord, because we know that you know the way out. And so we're depending on you. Commit our every need, especially unspoken requests, Lord. We commit them to you tonight. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen, that sounded so good. Sounded like a thousand-man choir, but David, let's sing it one more time. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. I be like you. You are the potter. You are the potter. And I am mold me and make This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh be like just the sisters just sing this chorus just the sisters
take your Bible. Let's look in the scripture. Genesis chapter 6. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Joe, for um, leading us tonight in worship. I've always said that a song leader does not need to know how to sing, even though Joe does. A song leader, a worship leader, just needs to worship. And when he worships, people will worship with him. It's all he needs to know how to do. And uh, I appreciate that very much. Good to have all of you here tonight. Ethan? It's Ethan, right? Yeah, good. God bless you. Good to have you tonight. Good to have all of you here. Sister Tracy, God bless you. Good to have you back with us. Genesis chapter 6. We'd like to read two places tonight. Genesis, the sixth chapter. And we're going to title this, The View from Heaven. Don't get too caught up in the PowerPoint because that's not going to be the important thing tonight. Genesis chapter 6. I do have just a couple of quotes that I put on there that I wanted to read with you. So Genesis 6, we'll start there reading at verse 8. This is familiar. It's the days of Noah. And 8 says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the right time to find grace. It's prior to a flood. Right? Prior to destruction. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So you have a righteous man. He is called in the Hebrew a Sadiq. And a Sadiq is the highest compliment you could have paid somebody in the days of Noah. It meant that when God looked at him, he stood out among his peers. He stood out among the people as being a righteous and a holy man. He wasn't perfect, we'd say, but he was a man that God could point to. And Noah was that. And yet surrounding him, the earth was at a place where God looked at it and said, you know what, I really can't do much else. Really can't. And 12 says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated tonight. Now, If you could see the pulpit here tonight, I have five different sermons here. And I've worked on all five of them uh, coming tonight because I had so much on my plate. I've been watching events very carefully over the last couple of days, things that are happening in the world, not only in Israel, but things that are happening in the world. And I just wondered to myself, where do I start? Where do you even start in talking about things that are taking place? And I don't want to waste your time tonight because that's not what we're here to do just to come to church and just to fill an hour. That's not the point. And so I brought a number of things here that I want to share with you. But before we do that, I'd just like to say we are honored and excited and blessed to have Ruby with us tonight. Ruby, would you stand up, wave to the people? Just wave. That's all we want you to do is just wave. She doesn't have to sing a special, doesn't have to sing. No? Okay. She's right there. I have told Ruby's story, and I'll tell you what, we're just so, I'm so blessed tonight. She came into my office before service began, and, and uh, we're just really blessed. Ruby, good to have you, all the family, God bless you, and uh, it's just a great, uh, great testimony, great miracle, and uh, we, are, uh, we are honored, and uh, I'll tell you what, it just, 
just gives us, should give us great consolation to realize that, uh, you know, God watches over us. He has angels that watch over us. Even before we pray, before we know what's going on, before we even recognize the scope of the danger, he's watching over us. And, you know, that, that's a humbling thing to know that God is watching over you because everybody doesn't have that kind of testimony. And uh, we are, we're just excited to know that we serve a God who cares about even the youngest among us and, and uh, all that we go through. And uh, we also, it reminds us that the enemy is there in every instance, in every way. He's around to try to disrupt us and, and uh, discourage us and to try to mess with the program. Uh, that's, that's his job. He, he's, he lurks around every corner, if you like. And, uh, but we serve a God who's greater than him who lurks around the corner. So, Ruby, great to have you here tonight. Just a, a, a little note here. I, I sent out a little WhatsApp thing today for, uh, on, the, on the mission thing, and uh, some of the believers that uh, sent some notes here, and this is a little group that's in Zaporozhia. Uh, they're, they're in harm's way, let me tell you. And uh, some of the elderly folks uh, have remained because they really have nowhere to go, and uh, these are people that we help and, uh, and uh, minister to with finances every month. And by God's grace, we have funds to, to send them every month. And uh, they're very thankful for that. So this is the one thing they can give. They can give a picture and they can give a, a word of thanks. And they really, really do appreciate uh, all of the help that's given. So uh, that's, that's a good thing. And you should, you should not forget the people who are in Ukraine. They are... Uh, they, they know what it means to be in the midst of a struggle, and they know what it means to be facing a long, cold winter. And uh, let me tell you, winters over there are not very pleasant, so uh, it's, it's nice that uh, we're able to do what we can to help. Now, uh, I, I just, uh, you'll uh, just bear with me here now as we look through some of these things here, and uh, I wanted to make one more little mention. We have a wedding on, a couple of weddings on, on Saturday coming up, as you know, and then on, on Sunday, I want to meet with everybody who is going to the South Carolina camp. So if you're a, a counselor or a camper and you're going to camp on Sunday or uh, the following week, uh, I'm going to be going, Lord willing, to the camp next week. Uh, and if you're going to the camp, I want to see you on Sunday after service. So just for a couple of minutes, there's just a couple of logistic things. So uh, we keep that in mind. And if I forget, uh, some of you guys remind me if you're if you're going to the camp on, on next week. Now, we'll have our regular services during next week as well, okay? So we'll have regular services here. Now, I, uh, I, I wanted to show you a, a scripture here, and I don't have a lot of these things on the, on the screen, but if you don't mind, take your Bible, if you're in the book of Genesis here, and just go back to Genesis chapter 14. I was... Um, I was probably like you, overwhelmed with the the news and the images of things that were taking place in Israel over this last week. I'm especially interested because I wanted to know uh, how um, how the media uh, was portraying things because I'm about to take scheduled to take 50 people over to Israel uh, in in less than a month, and so. This is a major, major concern for me, and I don't want to put anyone in harm's way. Uh, so 
we're looking very, very carefully at the situation in Israel to see how extensive uh, the struggle is and how broad the, the, the conflict is reaching. And, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about this kind of a, a situation, you remember um, when 9-11 happened here, it, it changed a lot of things, as I mentioned, I think, on Sunday. It, it changed an enormous amount of things. I mean, it was a long time before life was ever normal again, and they're calling this a 9-11 event uh, for the people of Israel. You've got to remember, though, that uh, Israel is only as big as the state of New Jersey, and it has 9 million people in it. And when somebody shoots a missile and it gets through the Iron Dome uh, or something else, it, it, you know, it can really be uh, uh, quite an exciting thing uh, when that happens. So uh, people in Israel, they live in a tough neighborhood. They, uh, they're used to conflict. Uh, and this has been a very, very stark reminder to them that trouble still lurks uh, in many directions. And uh, so it is a, a situation that is... Uh, certainly of great interest to us because it is Israel, it is God's people, but also, uh, you know, in the, in the world affairs arena, it's also a very important thing. But when you go back in, in the history of things, you go back in, in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 14, uh, you, you remember this story starts in verse 12, and they took Lot. These were the, uh, the warring kings that came against Sodom and Gomorrah, and they came in and they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew. And the, the word Hebrew there, which is the first mention of the word Hebrew, it means an outsider. And Abraham was called an outsider. Uh, he was one who was not born and raised there. He had no natural genealogy in the land of Israel. And when he was, uh, when he was told that Lot was taken captivity... Uh, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol, the brother of uh, Aner, they were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, what did he do? You, you, you've read this many times. He armed his trained servants that were born in his house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan, which means that he, uh, the, the Hebrew word actually means that he chased them and he harassed them. He went after them. And that was, that was his, his instinct. You, you don't find anywhere where he goes to God and says, shall I go after them? He just says, round up the servants, boys. Hand out the weapons. Let's go. Let's open up the gun safe. And off we go. And it, went, it says that they went and they pursued them and chased them and harassed them, even under Dan, which is in the north of Israel. So you're up near Lebanon. And he divided himself against them and his servants by night. And smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Which means that when it says that he smote them, he actually killed them. He slew all of those people that came after Lot. So the people today that are fighting in Israel are descendants of this man Abraham. And when these people did what they did in the last couple of days and came across into Israel's territory, and they're living on borrowed territory, the Hamas people and the Palestinian people are living on borrowed soil, uh, and a lot of things are provided for them over there, and that's another discussion. But when they came over onto the land of Israel and did what they did to the Israeli people, the Israeli people now in return, just like Abram, go back against those people, and uh, it's, it's not going to be a, a pleasant thing. 
and they wanted to start a war, and they'll certainly get a war uh, when they pick on the Israelites. And uh, this is, uh, to me, uh, a really important, um, really important uh, time in this whole conflict here, and it's really interesting to see what, uh, what's going to take place. But we are commanded, as, as Christians, we are commanded not to act like this, where we go and slay the people that persecute us, uh, but that's what the Jews did. That's what the Hebrews did back in that day. Uh, but we are commanded in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So that's the safest thing you can do in a situation like this because the whole battle is about Jerusalem. This whole battle is about the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, when you look at the name of the operation that Hamas just performed, in, when they came across the outside the barriers of, of Gaza, they called it Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. Al-Aqsa is the name of the temple that's on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Even though they're hundreds of miles from the Temple Mount, that's what they called it. Because it's all about that piece of territory, uh, the Temple Mount. And uh, there are, uh, there are uh, Jewish people that uh, go on top of the mount and people like us who are tourists who go on top of the mount and the Palestinian people and the Jordanian people and so forth who are keepers of the Temple Mount, uh, they consider it a desecration for anybody but a real Muslim to go on top of that mount. It's one of the holiest and, and most uh, coveted pieces of property on the face of the earth. And we believe that's where the temple was. We believe that's where God reached down, took a handful of dirt, and created Adam. Uh, we believe that's where Abraham took uh, his son Isaac on top of the mountain and was going to sacrifice him. It's an extremely important place. Uh, it is an extremely important place to three different religions. And so, therefore, it is a hotbed of, uh, of interest. And that's why they called this uh, uprising that's happening in Israel now. It's, it's, it's not so much about uh, the fences that border Gaza. It's more about what happens in Jerusalem. Because it's always been about Jerusalem. It's always been about Jerusalem. Because that's the apple of God's eye. Now, I'm going to ask you to go to two scriptures here, if you don't mind. And these are not in the notes here again. So go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, just real quickly here, because I want to I see if we can, we can land on something that has been on my heart. Ezekiel chapter 37. <clears throat> Ezekiel 37 and 38 are two very prophetic chapters where Ezekiel talks about the judgment of the nations and the restoration of Israel. This is where the dry bones are talked about, dry bones in the valley. And it says in 37, it begins in, in chapter 37, verse 1, And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and, and lo, they were very dry. And God speaks to Ezekiel and he sees these bones come together and they come to life and so forth. And then he interprets all of that, okay? He, 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 Ezekiel sees all of this, and then God interprets all of that. If you drop down to verse 14, and, and, and he shall, God shall put my, I shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. 
So this is speaking of the restoration of Israel, okay? God's going to put Israel back in his own land. And then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. This is the prophecy hundreds and thousands of years before it actually comes to pass. This is not only coming back out of exile, but this is also speaking of the 2,000 years uh, when, when Christ is on earth and so forth, after Christ is on the earth. And God says, I'm, I'm, you're going to be outside the land. It's going to be like a bunch of dry bones, but you know what? I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to perform it. I'm going to do this and bring it back into the land, and I'll make all of this come to pass. Now, if you come over in chapter 38, that's where we begin in this. Remember now, these two chapters go together. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog and the land of Magog. We know that to be the Russian area okay and so God says in that time when God is doing this great work of restoration there is also there is also an opposition to that because there always is right whenever you do something for God whenever God's uh, fulfilling his word or performing his word and performing is the uh, all-important word where God says I'm going to breathe life into it I'm going to make it come to pass I'm going to make it live I'm going, to, I'm going to revive this thing. It's a prophecy, and it lays there, but one day, bang, it's going to come to life, and I'm going to do that. So when God uses that word perform, wake up, that's a really important phrase that he uses there. And so when all of this happens in the, with the dry bones and so forth, he says, son of man, set thy face. In other words, be, be ready. Like, not, not that I want you to go there, but I want you to be ready to defend yourself from this, from this perspective, that Gog and Magog are out there, the chief prince of Meshal, uh, Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, and the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks in, into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor. In other words, the armor of different nations. And even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Swords are the instruments of war, right? So notice what's happening. And I mentioned this to you before. Uh, Russia is north of Israel. Ukraine stands right, in, right between Russia and Israel. And he says, I'm going to put a hook in the jaw of Gog and Magog and pull them down. They'll be dressed in different uniforms and they'll have swords in their hands. They're ready to fight, but I'm going to draw them into this. It's not like they're voluntarily going down to fight, but I'm going to draw them into this battlefield down towards the land of Israel where I'm going to bring Israel back. Okay? I, now, I can't say, thus saith the Lord here because I wouldn't say, thus saith the Lord about anything unless God absolutely told me to say it. But I believe this is what's happening today, that Russia is in this picture, Ukraine is involved in this picture, and it's all moving towards Israel because that's where the wind-up all happens. It doesn't happen in Washington. It doesn't happen in London. It happens in Israel and, and mostly centers in Jerusalem. And, and this is what's happening, that God is drawing these nations into a place where they're all standing there with bucklers and shields and all of them are handling swords. And then it says in verse 5, And with Gog and Magog is Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them. Persia is modern-day Iran. So now all of a sudden you have Russia as a, as a major player in war here, and you have Persia because Persia is the backer of Hamas. One of the reasons why Hamas has so many missiles that they just fired 
is because they put those missiles there a while ago in case Israel ever struck at their nuclear program in Iran. The Hamas were under orders to fire all of those rockets into Israel. So they were only there. Iran put all those missiles in, in the, because there's no manufacturer of missiles in, in uh, Gaza, let me assure you. But Iran put them all there and told them, if Israel ever strikes at our nuclear facilities and destroys our nuclear program in Iran, you fire off all of these missiles into Israel because we need to attack Israel uh, with whatever means we have. So they had put these, uh, that's why all of that armament, you, you wonder why all of those armaments are all of a sudden in Gaza uh, when they, you know, they don't have enough space to have uh, the manufacturing. They don't have space for all of that, but it's all there because Iran's put it there because they have a nuclear program and they don't want Israel to take that out. So if they did, Hamas was supposed to fire all of that stuff over there. So there, there's, there's a whole lot more that's going on, as there always is. There's all kinds of things that we don't know and we don't see. Media doesn't tell you. It's not important that they know because... That's not what our absolute is anyway, right? That's not what we follow. In other words, we're not, we're not uh, understanding things solely by what happens on CNN or NBC or whatever else. We have a more sure word of prophecy, right? And so uh, what, what, what uh, Ezekiel is describing here is that when this hook is put in the jaws of Gog, Mega, to pull her down in towards the land of Israel, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are all right there, nations that surround them, Egypt, all of them, all of them with shield and helmet. In other words, they're all armed for war during that time. Everybody's dressed for a battle. War is what's on their mind. That's, that's, what they're, that's what they're going for. Gomer, verse 6, and all his bands in the house of Torgamah of the north quarters and all his bands and so forth. And many people with thee. And it says, it describes how they'll all come down against Jerusalem. They'll all come down, uh, you know, fixing for a fight. And God says, hey, bring it on. Bring it on. Because in that day, I'll be standing for Israel. Take your Bible. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 12. Now, if you don't have anything else to do over the next week or so, you should take the book of Zechariah and you should go through it because there's more in the book of Zechariah about today than just about any other book in the Bible. And and this this is the prophecy directly speaking about our time. Zechariah chapter 12. You should read the whole chapter, but it says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege against Judah, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, and all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider, with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah, and will smite every every horse of the people with blindness, and all the other prophecies that are given here. And I, I you know, I mean, it, it's just an incredible, uh, incredibly accurate prophecy that's given about the time that we're living in. Now, let me say this: <clears throat> that when I title this this evening here, the view from heaven, and uh, when I said that in the office, there was a couple of people who were there. I said in the office, they were kind of like. Oh, wow, great, you know, this is, uh, this is a beautiful thing that God's looking at. And I didn't mean it that way at all. <laughs> Sorry. The view from heaven means, you can imagine 
I mean, try and imagine how God must think when he looks from heaven at the earth today. Now, he sees, he sees this. And to the world, this may be an unimpressive view. But to God, it's probably something he's very excited about because he's got people who believe the message without the messenger standing here. Without all kinds of signs and wonders and clouds and pillars of fire and supernatural events happening. But there's a group of people who believe and love him because they're predestinated in the last day to believe this message. And God put something in you to believe the word. And, and uh, they're, they're, they're called a bride and God's nurturing that bride along and moving her into a position to take her home forever. And we're just about at the end of things. And so that, that picture must be exciting. It must be exciting for God to look at us rejoicing over the fact that Ruby is with us tonight. I mean, we get it. Even though we don't understand it, we get it. Because that's nothing short of a miracle. I'm sorry, I just think that's nothing short of a miracle. Amen. And we're given the glory, all of the glory to God because it had to be him. I mean, that has to be him, right? Amen. And we're so very thankful for that. But when God looks out on the earth and sees the abominable things that are committed in, against the, the people of Israel and the land of Israel, and God sees the nations that are planning and conniving to destroy Israel or to uh, cause, cause war in the earth and cause suffering in the earth and all the other things that are, that are taking place and the nations that have turned against them, that once served him and once knew him and once honored him, and, and, and gave him, uh, you know, gave him the, the kind of honor that he deserves. And God looks at all of those nations now just uh, you know, pulled along by politics and pulled along by uh, you know, circumstances and world events and pulled by money and all the other things that happen and all the drugs that move in this world and all the uh, abortions that take place and all the other abominable things that take place in the earth. And when God looks at it, he must look at it in the same way that he looked at Noah's world. And said, there's a man, Noah, but you know what? The rest of it's all corrupt. And he must look at little churches like ours around the world. And he looks out a little group and sees a bunch of people that made the effort to come tonight. And, uh, you know, uh, the folks that are listening and streaming here. And, and they're doing that because they want to hear, they want to know, they want to uh, be inspired. They want to fall more in love with him. And he must love that. But around us, surrounding us, is a world that really doesn't care. And... You have to think about what God must think about when he looks, looks upon the, the face of the earth. And then that begs a question. Then you start to think for a minute, why doesn't he shut it down? Why doesn't he just stop it? Like, why doesn't he just stop it now and just wash, uh, you know, Hamas into the ocean and Hezbollah into the ocean and all the other people that would destroy Israel and just, you know, cause an earthquake? And if, if Los Angeles can crack off, why can't Gaza crack off and fall into the ocean? It's got a bad history anyway. That's where Goliath came from and uh, all the other troublemakers. So, you know, why doesn't God just crack that off and slide it into the Mediterranean and then we're done with it? He said, why doesn't God shut it down and take the bride home? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Be all right except for, uh, you know, uh, Ashley and Tyler. But, you know, for the rest of us, hey, I'm good. I'm okay with that. There's a measure... And this is the word that when Brother Danny was speaking on Sunday, this word came up in my thinking. And I don't believe it just popped up like a feed. 
But I believe that the Holy Spirit just dropped that word in my heart. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper that I had. And I was just thinking about that ever since. The word measure. And I, I began to think about this word measure. And I was thinking how that when we look at the world, we would think, why doesn't, with all of the heinous, horrible, demonic things that took place over the last 48 hours or so in Israel. And you've all seen the footage, and we don't need to dwell on that. I, somebody sent me a, 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 a link that had a, a program on it. And I, I, I will be honest with you, I've seen a lot of things in my day. I've seen a lot of things in my years. I could not look at this. I could not look at what, what was actually uh, some of the things that were committed in those couple of hours on Saturday and Sunday over in Israel. And I thought, that's, that's beyond even description. And I thought, if I can see that little bit, imagine what God must see when he looks from heaven and sees what people... So-called human beings are doing to other human beings. And, and you think, why doesn't he shut it down? I'll tell you why. Because he's measuring everything by a different standard than how we measure it. And let me give you a little statement. Brother Branham says, and he deals with this kind of towards the end of his ministry, in 1965, in God of this evil age, he said, God is waiting until the iniquity of these modern Amorites is filled. He said, don't worry. He'll have his Moses ready at that time, and there will be an exodus someday to the promised land. You know who he's speaking to now, right? Hello? He's not speaking to the Israelites back there. In that time, when, whenever this measure is met, whenever this, this cup of iniquity is filled, there will be an exodus take place. There will be a prophet, there will be a message, and there will be a Moses ready at that time. He said there will be an exodus someday to the promised land. There will be a Moses come along who calls us out, restore the faith of the children back to the fathers. It will come one of these days. He said, you say, well, look how we're progressing. He said, sure, the iniquity, but the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It'll come one of these days. Let them destroy themselves. Civilization, knowledge, perversion of God's word to suit their own taste. Every denomination does the same thing. Satan then preaches his own gospel of knowledge in his own church. And, and Brother Rand goes on to talk about it in that sermon there. But he, in other words, he's telling us that... We look at it one way, but God's looking at it another way, and we measure it by how, how our reaction is. We, look, we measure it and say, wow, that's a terrible thing. How could it get worse? But God knows exactly how much worse it's going to be. And he's measuring this according to his standard, not ours. In other words, he's not shocked by things that we see. Uh, he's, not, he's not all of a sudden awakened because we go and say, Lord, how long are you going to let this continue? And he looks, oh, I didn't know. He, he, let me tell you, he knows. But his, his cup, the cup that is described here, has got to come to the place that God decides, and then he shuts it down. Okay? Now, again, Brother Branham makes another statement here in the third exodus in 1963. And he says, now you have to take the whole thing. And he said, if God is in it, then it'll, it'll manifest itself to be the truth. And he says, now you find that all of these 
Um, all of these uh, things have taken place in this last day. And he said they've had revivals. He said Methodists had revivals, Lutherans, Baptists, Campbellites, and different ones. And he said they had great revivals. The Nazarene, Pilgrim, Holiness, Pentecostals, they all had great revivals. And Brother Branham, is, he's, he's very clear. And I will tell you, I will tell you, I, I agree with that 100%. They had great revivals in their day. Uh, Jonathan Edwards and, and, the, uh, and the revivals uh, that, that they had in, the, in Connecticut and, and New England and so forth back in that day. They were astounding revivals. They swept the country and there were uh, all kinds of miracles that took place and so forth. Whole, whole, whole uh, states were affected by those revivals back in that time. And Brother Bram said they all had them in their different uh, stages. But he said the great exodus hadn't come. So in other words, they had a revival, but everybody's still here. And they had a revival, and they're all, but they're all still here. Had a revival, they're all still here. And he said, but watch now. He says, but the great exodus hadn't come. Why? Because God told Abraham he'd keep him in the land, but the iniquity of the Amorites wasn't yet full. So I believe the reason that we're still here is because God's keeping us here because according to his measure, things are not full yet. According to his measure. Okay? And God has waited patient, then people trying to figure it out and can see the scripture. They can see the scripture run right into something, just like us. We're watching the scripture. It runs into this. Maybe this is it. And here we are and run right into something. And they said, this is the day. This is the time. But you fail to understand that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet fulfilled. So in other words, we're missing something that God is seeing. And I'm not telling you that I know exactly what, what it is that God is seeing. I, I'm not. I'm just, what I'm, what I'm putting out to you is that God allows us to be able to be blessed while we're here, protected while we're here, and enjoy the presence of the Lord while we're here. But one day, all of that is to loosen the church up and get the church ready, get the church prepared. Because one day, when God, he's got his eye on Israel. How many believe that? He's got his eye on the bride. How many believe that? But he's got his eye on this cup. Whatever this cup is, God's got his eye on that cup too. And you know what? That's the triggering mechanism for Israel to come back in and the Gentile bride to go. Whatever this is. Because the cup of iniquity has got to be full. And he told Abraham, I'm going to keep you in the land. I'm going to let you enjoy the blessings of the land. I'm going to let you enjoy revivals here. I'm going to let you enjoy my presence. I'm going to let you enjoy uh, miracles and supernatural things. I'm going to let you enjoy the preaching of the word and the hearing of the word. And, uh, you know, Bible studies and, and uh, great sermons and have ministers come, fivefold ministers come. And you're going, to, you're going to be blessed Sunday after Sunday, week after week, you know, year after year. And, and how many would say that the word has become better year after year? It's not gotten worse. It's gotten better, hasn't it? How many believe the word's gotten richer than what it used to be? I mean, it's more clear than what it used to be. Isn't that right? I got news for you, folks. That isn't me because I'm enjoying the same increasing clarity. I'm enjoying the same increasing uh, richness of the word. I'm enjoying the same, uh, you know, greater revelation that you are. I just get a first and then I preach it to you. But I, 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 if, if, I knew, if I knew today, if I knew, if I knew 20 years ago what I know today, I would have preached it 20 years ago. I wouldn't have held off for 20 years. 
But I, I preach what I preach now because that's, what God, that's how God's dealing with me. And your understanding is where it is today because God has brought us up to that. And in other words, he's saying to us, like he said to Abraham, I'm going to keep you in the land. Don't worry. I'll look after you and I'll feed you and I'll give you handfuls on purpose. And, and I'll give you manna for your day and I'll bless you and I'll, I'll bless your church and I'll bless your outreach and all of that. And, and I'll, I'll allow the, uh, the church to grow in grace and in knowledge. I'll, 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 I'll do that. I'll keep you in the land because i got to keep you in the land until this cup is full. And when that cup is full, and that's my timer. Watch Israel, because that's the clock, right? But we don't know what hour that clock's got to come to. We don't know what measure we've got to come to. But God's got his eye on that. He's got his eye on Israel, and he's got his eye on the bride. And he knows exactly when, he knows exactly where, he knows exactly how all of this is going to take place. A measure, and if you don't mind, if you don't mind, let's look in the book of Matthew 23. Turn your Bible for a minute. Matthew 23. I told you don't get excited about the PowerPoint because we haven't done anything on it yet. Matthew chapter 23. Now Matthew 23 is one of those scorcher uh, chapters here because he denounces the Pharisees. He talks about Phariseeism. He just really rails against the Pharisees because of all they are. So go to verse 30, if you will, well, verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye... Uh, build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. In other words, you honor the people after they're dead. You ignore their message. You persecute them. You ridicule them while they're here. But you know what? When they're dead, you're the first people to come along and put flowers on the grave. A bunch of hypocrites. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which kill the prophets. And that murderous spirit has passed down from generation to generation. And ye are the children of those that committed those heinous acts against the men of God through the ages. So he says, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. You're going to do the same thing again today. Now that word measure in the Greek, it is the word metron, M-E-T-R-O-N. Guess what word we get from that in the English? But a meter. A meter is a measurement. The vast majority of the world, except for two countries and the one you're living in, have the metric system. And the metric system is a system by which we measure everything, right? So the Greek word is metron, and it means it's a vessel for receiving and determining the quantity of things. It is a staff for measuring, like a measuring rod, proverbially the rule or standard of judgment. So in other words, this this measure that Jesus is talking about, those guys had a, if, if we could measure their iniquity, if we could take a staff and measure the iniquity of those hypocrites back there that put the prophets in the grave and showed up on the next Sabbath and put flowers on it, in my view, they had a measurement of hypocrisy. Jesus is saying, here are you guys standing here, and out of one side of your mouth, 
you're saying, oh, you know, he's a great teacher, rabbi, come from God. On the other side, you're planning how to kill me. And if you could, you'd push me off the cliff. And I stood on that cliff in Nazareth where they wanted to push him off. It's quite a cliff. And Jesus said, here you are. You're saying this and you appear this way in front of people. But you know what? Over here, you're just as hypocritical. You know what I'm trying to say? (laughs) You come up here and say all these words and say them as fast as I do. Huh. As your fathers. And Jesus is saying, go ahead, boys. Fill up the measure of your fathers. Because you know what? Like father, like son, you're going to fill up the same measure as those guys. Because you're all of the same family, if you like. You're all of the same species here. And he says, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. So in other words, this is a, this is a, a measure by which God, God looks at something. And he says... I know you guys. You guys are just like your, the forefathers back there. And you know what? In the same way that they measured this much, you're going to measure this much as well. And, and you're, you're appearing like you're not. You're trying to act like you're not. But I know your heart. And you're going to wind up measuring the same amount in the bucket as what those guys did. He said, go fill, fill you up the measure of your fathers. Go ahead. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. So you understand the phraseology. So God looks at measurement. He looks at measuring things a little bit differently than we do. So take your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians, if you don't mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians. How many love your Bible? I know you love the PowerPoints, but it... It's good that we have our Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 8. For though I boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Paul says, I'm operating in an office in a channel by an authority that God's given to us, and I'm here to help you. And even though I may be correcting you, he says, I am here to help you, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. So in other words, I write to you in a certain way. He says, I'm not trying to be one thing in a letter and another thing in person. He says, it, it's the word of the Lord. And, and you folks need to reckon with that. You, you folks need to reckon with the fact that if I am who God has made me and God has empowered me to be, then it doesn't matter whether I write you a letter or whether I'm standing here and saying it to you. It's the same thing. Right? So... We could apply that and say that, you know, if you read something of Brother Branham, uh, that's no different than if I stood here and quoted something of Brother Branham to you, which really wouldn't be much different if Brother Branham was here and said it to you himself, right? Because as long as it's not changed or there's another motive in there, it is the word of the Lord, because I believe the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. Right? So in other words, Paul is saying, don't try to, don't try to flip this around and say, oh, wow, he's just a little guy. No, we don't have to listen to him because he's a little guy with a weak voice and a big nose. 
Paul says, don't do that. It's still the word of the Lord. Okay? For we dare, verse 12, not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The last thing you want to do is measure yourself by yourself. In my humble opinion, I think I'm one of the best pastors in the world. In my humble opinion. (laughs) And in my humble opinion, I also think I'm one of the most humble pastors in the world too. 13. But (laughs) we will not boast of things without our measure. But according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. God has given me an amount. God has measured out something to give to me in my ministry to empower me to minister to you. And he says, what's really important is that we don't want to boast beyond that measure. And I think it's also really applicable today that the job that God gives to me, i got to be really careful. I stay within the measure of that grace he gives to me and not say, well, you know what? <laughs> I think now I'm going to say this, and even though Brother Ram didn't say it, I'm going to say this, and, and I'm going to add to this or, or take away. Hey, you're operating outside the measure God's given to you. So what Paul is teaching us very carefully is that God not only looks at the world and measures iniquity, he also has measured out to every one of us a portion of faith and a portion of grace and a portion of uh, anointing for ministry. God's anointed things. Uh, he's, he's measured things out. He has a system of measuring that's above our way of thinking about things. And so I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm just saying that when, when God looks at the world and we look at the world and the way it's unfolded this week already, you would think, wow, certainly we must be at the end. If we're not at the end, we're right there. But I'm telling you, it's really pointless for us to try to figure that out because you're not looking at the same measuring stick that God is. So it's kind of like me looking at something that I can't see. If that's the measuring cup, you know what? I can't see it because I'm in this mortal body and I can't see what God's looking at. He's looking at it from this angle, and I'm looking at it from this angle. And I'm saying, it must be close to the end. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what's happening here. Does that make sense? And this measuring that goes on is God's perspective. It's from God's perspective. And he looks at it. So therefore, this, this whole thing about uh, you know, where we are in time and where we are in the world and so forth... That's all going to unfold and it's all going to happen when God sees that this cup of iniquity is full. And he says it's a modern cup of iniquity. Let me read you one quote. The unity of one God. No, I'm sorry. Let's, why don't we do this right? It's called the angel of God. Now just watch this, and we're going to end here. That's the angel of God. Brother Bram said, now he's been seen many times in the service, and I know he's here. I've felt him three or four times since I've been here, and many people misunderstand. This is by no means an angel angel worship. Now this is very early in his ministry, so he tends to take a lot of time to explain to audiences about this angel because, you know what, nobody else in that time kind of hung around with angels. And so he's explaining this. 
to people. And he said, I do not pray in the name of the angel or even know his name. But if you'll check the scripture, when God sends his people, it's an angel that directs him. Or you say, well, how about in the New Testament? Certainly, it always was the angel of the Lord. And Peter, when he was in prison, the angel of the Lord came down and delivered him. We find that in Exodus chapter 23. Remember when God sent the children of Israel through there? And he said, behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and bring thee into the place which I have prepared. He says, keep your eye on him. Because he says, if, if you disrespect him, you know, if you transgress him, he said, he'll act on that. But if you obey him, he'll lead you into the place that you're, you're going to go. You can read that in Exodus 23. And he says, Paul over here in Macedonia on the shipwreck, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, told him he'd give him into his hands. Paul never worshipped the angel. John the Revelator, after the book of Revelation was written, he said, I fell at the feet of that angel that showed me those things, worship God. And he was of his fellow men of the prophets. God always sends down the supernatural upon the natural, like the brass serpent on the pool and so forth. And even Jesus himself, he never took credit for healing anyone. He said, it's not me that doeth the works, but it's my Father that dwelleth in me. Now, let me just conclude and say this, that what God is interested in doing prior to this being full, he knows knows when that's going to be full. His job is to have everyone ready so that whenever that's full, he can just say, okay, now, and we're gone. He doesn't have to say, all right, everybody, it's full, so let's get ready. Here's a message for you, and here's what you need to do, and here's how you need to act in church, and here's how you need to dress, and here's how you need to treat your wife, and here's how you need to pray. You know what, he, you know what he's doing? He's loosening the church now, preparing the church now, because he's got his eye on that, and when that's full, gone. He would have the church so sensitive, and the church now is measuring up to the standard God has. He can just say, hey, you know what? All of this happens to be coinciding at the same time. Full, go, bang, gone, Israel. Because you know what? The Bible says it happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Let's stand to our feet. Fill thee up then the measure of your father's. Brother Bram said, when the great winds twisted and the trees groaned under it, he said, I began to think. What's them trees moaning and groaning about? But he said, God sends the wind for a purpose. And it only pulls the roots loose so it can have room to dig deeper. I'm quoting out of the greatest gift in the Bible. That's the name of the sermon. 1957, the greatest gift in the Bible. Brother Bram said, when the winds twisted and the trees moaned and groaned underneath it, in other words, they're heaving like this. And he said, I begin to wonder why are those trees groaning and moaning like that. But he said, God sends the wind for some purpose, and it only pulls the roots loose so it can have room to dig deeper. And that's the way God does with a revival in his church. He shakes us about to loosen us up so we can grow deeper, get a better hold, and shaking and moving of the Spirit loosens us up. So in the same way that God has shaken things up in Israel and shaken things up in the nations of the world, God has also shaken the bride. He's shaken God's people. How many agree? God's shaken things up. 
Things are happening, folks. Things are happening around us. And God's getting it all shaken up, ready, in position. Because when that's full, and that's the measure we can't see. But when God says that that thing is full, this bride is going to be all positioned, ready, loosened up, ready to go. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Let's sing that this evening here. Grab a mic, Joel. Help me sing it there this evening here. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon His face the one who saved me by His grace and He takes me by the attack Chicago, that'd be a big thing. That'd be a big deal. Or if they came across the border and attacked Seattle, that'd be a big thing. But when you mess with Israel, when you mess with Jerusalem, that's a big thing in the eyes of God. And if things are happening in Israel, you ought to wake up. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to take note of that. It's not just some distant abomination that's taking place way over there. If God's doing things in the land of Israel, that means you and I are probably on the stage for departure. Amen. We're on a stage for departure. Amen. We're on the ramp. Really? Yep. I think so. And I'm not... I'm not entirely positive, but I think I'm pretty close. Even if I'm wrong, it doesn't hurt to be ready. It doesn't hurt to be ready, not at all. 
I stand, I stand in awe of him. You sang that this evening here. It sounded so nice. Let's sing it this evening here before we go. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. Yes, I stand, I something that's got me tight, something that's holding on to me tight. And I, if, I, if, if, if nothing else, Lord, I'd like to have this loosened from my life so it doesn't bind me and hold me down. I want you to think about that. Every eye closed. Every eye closed. Close your eyes. Everyone. And I want you just to reach out to him now and just say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you know the things in our lives that hold us. And sometimes it's just something as simple as fear. It might be a fear of something, but it holds us back. 
It might be, Lord, a a self-doubt, doubting that this is really happening and it's happening to me. Will I be ready? Will I be able? But there's something in all of our lives that we'd love to be free of. We'd love to. We'd love to see the Holy Spirit loosen this thing from us. And Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that you would just minister in every heart and every soul. Because, Lord, we don't want to measure ourselves by ourselves. But we want to measure ourselves against the measuring stick of the word. That's the only real absolute that we can measure ourselves by. It's the only thing that's real and true and consistent. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would search deep in our hearts. So that whenever this cup of iniquity is filled, this modern cup, like your prophet talked about. Lord, we wouldn't be deciding then to be free. We wouldn't be deciding then to change. But Lord, all changing would be done. All preparations would be made. So that we can go, we can leave. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you deal with our hearts, Lord. Pray for those that are not here tonight, Lord, and some you know, there's conditions. They need help. They need a touch from you. Sickness in their homes. And I pray, dear God, that you minister strength to them. I think of Sister Becky and Brother Fulcher tonight, and, and Lord, just so many others that just, Lord, if you'd be merciful, just reach down and touch them, Lord, and help them right where they are. And there's a special need among us, Lord, and We thank you, Brother Troy, as well. We commit them into your care because we believe you're a miracle-working God. and We have evidence of that in our church, that you're a miracle-working God. And we'll give you thanks and praise for what you've done among us, Lord. But as long as we're in these bodies, we'll have needs. So I commit these concerns to you. Pray that you would unshackle these things that hold us. Set us free, Lord, I pray. We just want to say tonight we love you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray amen and amen and amen sing it as you go tonight I stand I stand in all